Who's this? Oh, you're an entrepreneur? Oh, you're a real estate investor. Oh, you're trying to learn from those who did it. Well, come into the lab then. Put your white coat on, gloves on, notepad, and let's build y'all. Real estate experiment, what is happening y'all? Today I have a very special guest, monumental guest I should say. Uh, Evan Holiday is here with us in the lab. Evan, welcome to the lab my man. We are overdue. We were scheduled with all the crazy uh what we're catching this right now december 3rd right after thanksgiving but we had to make it work i had to have you in the lab so uh why don't you tell the people who you are because i i mean i i I just i gotta let you introduce yourself (laughs) i love it man well thank you for having me in the lab i'm excited to be here excited to be here with everybody in the lab um so a little bit about me my background like we were talking about earlier uh i really got started in real estate in college. I grew up in Northern Kentucky, uh, went to school at University of Louisville, doing the pre-med route, trying to be an anesthesiologist, and really just, you know, felt like that was not the fit at all, and was looking for something else outside of science, outside of chemistry, and ended up finding a development on campus at University of Louisville, this big, like, massive project. It was like $55 million, 350 beds, Uh, like retail below, tax credits, student housing, like ridiculous project. And I was like, huh, that that looks like fun. Like I want to be a part of that. And so I figured out a way to get connected with the owner developer uh, who had actually come in from out of town and got connected with him. And in the process was able to basically impress him by bringing a bunch of people to his groundbreaking. And from there, I was the first one he hired on the job. And so I really, I got to literally see it as it was being built. So I was there like helping him pre-lease this thing before it was actually even like, it was literally just like, like the framing was up. That was it. And I was like literally pre-leasing this thing from a hotel room and got to learn so much by that. It was literally, it was a very entrepreneurial experience because we were literally just thrown in. He's like, he's like, Hey, here's the project okay, lease it up and, you know, figure this out and, you know, negotiate the leases with the retail tenants. And so it was, a, it was more of a management side, but it was just so cool because I got to see the whole project. I got to see how he operated, how he operated with the management company and, and building out this development. And uh, I would like, ever since then, I was just hooked. I was like, man, this is me. This is what I'm all about. And from there, just started a modular company in college uh, with four other people. And then we we scaled that up to to do some, we started out single family, scaled that up to do multifamily and then found a partner and they're like, well, how about Evan, how about you come work with us and, and see what we can do together? And so worked with them for the past six years and then just in the last year broke off and started my own company specializing in workforce and affordable housing, both new construction and um, acquiring and value adding existing properties. So we're basically, the mission is to provide, uh, really to go big and provide 100,000 homes for families that are workforce and affordable and provide and empower them to really live their best life. And, and also not only just provide the good quality place to call home at a reasonable price, which is hard and harder and harder to come by now but also be able to give them the education and the, the empowerment to say, Hey, I can, I can live a better life. I can provide a better life for my children. 
and give them the tools necessary to do that. Um, so that's become our mission and we've just hit the ground running with that and had a blast with it. So, wow. Some intro. I wouldn't want to follow that guy, but uh, <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome. So Evan, take, so we're going to, I love that you talked about the affordable housing. Cause I think that's uh, one thing that sometimes just surpasses our attention a little bit. I think that is, as you know, uh, being the subject matter expert in that is, is it's it's an opportunity that's that's i mean we're literally running out of affordable housing so i'm gonna get to that in a second i want to take a little step back though back to the lab a little nostalgia so you're in school and, and i wanted to make sure we capture this because we always talk about leveraging opportunities and i'm sensing a trend here uh, which i love so you're in school you see this opportunity was this no was this a developer that was literally building it was it an extension of a camp of the campus itself or was it just right across from it uh, can, yeah uh, it was a private developer uh but it was basically right off of campus you could basically consider it on campus um but it was a private developer you know he he partnered with the school but they weren't involved at all with the ownership it was it's like a mutual agreement more or less but it was fully private development Okay, and so the next step for you is like, hey, you know, you, it sounded like you were curious or correct me if I'm wrong, but you saw an opportunity and you just went to, was your intention just to learn or was your intention that this is kind of interesting and new and I, want, and I, I don't you know anything about it? Let me see what's, what's going to happen, I guess. What, what was the thought process there? Yeah, honestly, uh, when I was like, I don't know, eight or 10 years old, I would like draw buildings and I would draw like literally site plans, which sounds crazy. I'm like little kid, like drawing the outline of the building and then drawing the interior of buildings. And, um, and then like, you know, I mentioned earlier to you, I, I had an injury, um, pretty bad injury where I needed multiple surgeries on my knee. And, and that's what got me down the doctor route or wanting to be a doctor. But it started, honestly, it started when I was really young. I was like, man, I, I just want to like, I want to build something like something about that just gets me excited and something about real estate, like where you're literally changing a neighborhood either through new construction or through fixing up an old dilapidated community. Like you are literally either building a brand new neighborhood or prolonging the life of an existing neighborhood. Uh, and that was just, that was powerful to me. I was like, man, I gotta, I gotta do something like that. Mm -hmm. And so really saw it as a learning opportunity. I didn't know why I wanted to do it. I was just like, at the time, I was like, that just excites me and I got to be, I got to be around it. Excellent. So you got, you, you got around it. I'm curious. I heard you say value add, which is a, a terminology we often use uh, that we're familiar with if you're here in the lab. But you also said, we, I haven't, I don't think I've had anyone who's comes from a developer background. So I guess taking a step back, which one do you like better? I guess, do you, do you have <laughs> like, yeah, starting a project from the ground up or seeing something that was designed by someone else and, and adding your, maybe a little bit of your vision to it. Which one do you like best? I'm curious. That's a, that's a good question. I would say, you know, I'm always going to be a developer at heart. Ah. That's, that's like my, my first love, but I honestly, I just love the ability of real estate because like we talked about, there's so many benefits of real estate, like sure. for you as the owner, for your investors, for the residents, for the community, um, for long-term wealth generation, for, you know, if you're, if you're doing it the way we're doing it for affordability of communities, you know, there's so many benefits of real estate that I just fell in love with. I was like, you know, I, I don't care if it's development or if it's rehab. Like I just, I love multifamily. I love the potential it has. And I love the impact that we can have through it. Okay. Excellent. So 
considering that you have both lens, which I think is fascinating because sometimes we have a lot of niched investors that come into the lab. I think it's cool that you're able to see both. So in an area that's, um, I guess your current market right now, you're what, you're in Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. We were talking offline. Yep. Excellent. So are you, are you specifically in that market or are you also going other, other markets as well? Yeah, really from Louisville, Kentucky, all the way down to Florida and everywhere in between. Um, it typically with the new construction side, you have to be more focused because it is such a long game. Right. Like it takes two to three years, like stuff I'm starting now on the site selection and the engineering, the architects, the rezonings, yeah. that, that in itself for entitlements and financing and approvals can take two years plus. I just okay. had one close this summer. It took three years. Okay, so this is this is actually a good segue because we actually just shut out the toast and we just had a very uh, fantastic um, guest that came into the lab and he talked a little bit about his fund, how they, they also do, uh, they'll, they'll fund developers actually at the same time. So I want to take it, I don't know anything about this. And I think there's a good opportunity for uh, myself and the listeners to learn from you a little bit. So tell me a little bit how, it's a little bit different from the traditional multifamily that we hear a lot, multifamily value add play, where a lot of folks are focusing on B and C, where there's an opportunity to increase the rent rolls after you've added value to a building. How do you tackle a brand new project concerning, I'm sure there's engineers involved, all that. And additionally, this is the triple F. We're going right into our triple F uh, um, section of, of finding, funding, uh, and flourishing the deal. So, can you maybe talk a little bit about that and give us maybe a high level insight of what that might look like? How do you decide to go into a development project and how it might be a little bit different than what we know as multifamily value add? Yeah, most definitely. I love that finding funding and flourishing. Hey baby. <laughs> so uh, really the, the biggest thing that I, that I always recommend to anybody that's thinking about development or, or learning about it and interested in it is um, you know, learn about the different types of development and then pick your niche. It's the wow. same, same as value add, same as most any businesses, like pick something that you want to be the best at and focus in on that. Okay. Because, so there's, there's levels. It sounds like already. So I'm thinking already developing is one niche, but then there's niche a niche within a submarket. Oh, yeah. Okay. So let's get, let's get into that a little bit. Yeah. I love understanding. I love this. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, what I, what I'm typically doing is I'm doing multifamily 200 plus units mm -hmm. near an urban core with affordable housing need where we're using some sort of public private partnership. We're using tax credits, tax abatements. Um, you know, we're using grants or loans from city or federal governments. And there it's basically them saying like, Hey, we have a problem the local economy, like the developers and the owners here are not providing enough affordable housing. We need more to basically support the backbone of our economy. And we're going to help fund part of the gap that a developer would have if you were to provide these lower income units instead of a market rate unit. So that is like very niche. That is very niche where we know exactly what we're looking for. We know exactly what types of of sites we're looking for, where they're going to be located. Like I can typically locate within a city. I know certain areas we're going to be looking at. I know, you know, we need at least 10 plus acres for sites. I know it needs to be a certain price point. 
I know we need to have like city council or mayor support. So those are all things like I have a criteria of like 10 different things that I'm looking for. And if it doesn't hit one of those, or if it's on the edge, then, you know, it, it that's, that's where you start filtering out deals, just like you do on the value right, side. But right. it's like creating that filter of saying, you know, I'll have people send me land all the time. And I'm like, well, no, 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 maybe no, no. You know, it's, it takes a lot of no's and also being very specific with your criteria to the brokers of saying, okay, I want only this, you know, if it fits generally this criteria, then send it to me. Okay. So I, I like this because I'm hearing there's a lot of filtering which to me when I hear filtering, just, you know, my mind consulting by it. It's like I hear systems. Okay. And another thing that I'm hearing is there's a level of complexity because I've heard a lot of investors say, I don't care where it is. I don't care. I just look at the numbers. But in this case, correct me if I'm wrong, Evan, it sounds like you're also factoring in the economic, the socioeconomic, the, the, the city, et cetera, all these uh, intricacies that are involved with you actually. Right. Okay. So this is very interesting. So, and, and I heard you say, I want you to take a step back because in the lab, we're here to learn. You know, I got the whiteboard behind me. We're ready to go. <laughs> so, uh, you said tax credit, tax credits, and tax abatement. For those of us who may or may not be familiar with what that actually means, we want to go a little bit into detail as to what that means for you, for you to get a tax credit or tax abatement on this type of project. Yeah, most definitely. So credits are were funded by like this program set up in 1986 by the federal government. Basically, says we want to encourage affordable housing opportunities. And we're going to give a credit for that. So that credit, there's many, there's a few different types of credits you can get, but the one I typically go after is covers about 40% of your cost. So right there, I have 40% of my cost covered with a tax credit. And then we go out to the market and sell that credit for cash equity. So actually an, an end investor gets the credit and then they give us cash to help fund our deal. And, so thing, and I'm sorry to cut you off there. I just want to make sure I piggyback on that, Evan. Is that tax credit upon the, the completion of the project or is it upfront to fund the project? Like, do, do you, you want to talk about Yeah, that? you don't get the credits. You don't receive the credits until you actually deliver affordable housing units. So they want to see a completion. They want to see a certificate of occupancy mm -hmm. and then they will start the delivery of credits. And then you give that delivery of credits immediately. You have an agreement with your investor where you just deliver the credits directly to them. So, okay. Interesting. So that's credit on one end. And then, yep. uh, and I, I'm sorry to cut you off. Uh, I just You're good. Hop on that. that. That's credit on one end. What about yep. the tax abatement part? So the tax abatement can be paired with the tax credit and that's on the, the city county level. And that's where, uh, you know, all everybody listening to the show probably knows about real estate taxes and how it's one of your biggest uh, OPEX expenses. Yeah. And it's it kind of pain in the ass because it, it, it keeps rising. It keeps digging into your, um, your NOI. And so, um, especially on affordable deals where these things are not cash flowing as much because we're getting the credits, we're, ag we're agreeing to cap our rents. So these are working class families making 30 to 70,000, but they're not paying a full market rent. They're paying a reasonable rent, but they're not, we're not like price gouging them. So in return for doing that, 
you know, our NOI is lower, but we get the tax credits. So because our NOI is lower, real estate taxes really, really hurt our deals. Um, so in return for providing the affordable housing, sometimes if we can't make the numbers work, we will go to the city or the county and say, hey, would you all be able to forego some of the taxes that, we'd, that we would generate? Now, keep in mind, because it's a development, we're typically at only adding taxes to the tax base because it's typically like a, a vacant land site or abandoned site where there was nothing, there's no taxes being collected or maybe minimal like $1,000 a year. And so the city's like, well, okay, you're going to provide 200 units of brand new affordable quality housing. And in return, we'll agree to abate 20% or abate 80% of our taxes. We'll still collect 20% of the future taxes, but we'll allow you to forego paying 80% of it. And then in return, we as the the owner developer, we can then borrow against that and typically collect pretty significant loan, like a second loan that can then go to additional funding to develop and build out the project. Wow, that's fascinating and honest, fascinating uh, explanation as well. Uh, for, for those of you who are in the lab or, you know, we have all sorts of folks who are either, you know, they have the money or maybe they're real estate savvy and haven't pulled the trigger yet or, or, or either, either way. Um, you may or may not be familiar, but I want to just uh, circle back on what Evan said. I think we talked about earlier adding a lot of value to communities. And one thing that property taxes does is it really does fund, you know, the schooling, the roads, etc. So I, what Evan is saying here, and he'll interrupt me if I'm wrong or, you know, add on to, to what I'm saying is you're you're justifying to the city that, hey, listen, we're actually going to offer more value to uh, not only the marketplace, but to the community, because now you can tax us. But how about we set up a deal where you don't tax us as much in the beginning so we can kind of right. use that to leverage? So so that's fascinating. I mean, please correct me if I miss anything there, but I just want to make sure we we, we, we we touch on that a little bit for a second. Yeah, that's perfect, man. That's exactly it. Okay, cool. So so that's interesting. So we, we talked about triple F, finding. You said people send you land, and you might say that's not interesting. What are some things you looked at? You touched a little bit on, about the city's approval. What are some things that a savvy developer like you um, might look at when there is vacant land? Because that's one thing that I actually don't understand. I, I you know, there's vacant land everywhere, and I know they're not making any more of it. <laughs> but what makes good vacant land, and what makes bad vacant land? Typically, we're looking for, um, we're looking for just like on the value add side, we're looking for something that is in a redeveloping part of town. We're looking for something that's on the cusp of on, you know, turning around from not really getting much of any attention to now getting, you know, one of the hot neighborhoods by the time we close. Cause you know, like we were talking about, these things can take two to three years. All right. So the one that just closed in July, that took us three years. When we first put it under contract, we were, you know, what people thought of as like the edge of town. And Nashville being Nashville, three years later, we have all these, you know, high end luxury developers going in literally all around us. And we had the foresight. I mean, part of it's luck, but it's also part of just knowing that, hey, we put it on a major corridor. It's a major four lane or five lane road going directly from downtown Nashville. And then we're just 15 minutes out. 
So I know that we're on a major corridor. I know there's a hospital next door. There's a Walmart nearby. Like there's things like that that we look for. It's like, okay, well, Nashville's growing like crazy. It's a major corridor. They're supporting more density on this. So we actually had to get it rezoned from farmland to zone for 240 units. But we knew that the councilwoman was on board. We met with her before we even got it under contract. So it's things like that that we're looking for. You know, is it the right price? Is it the right size? It was 18 acres. Um, it was relatively flat. It had a little bit of slope on it and had a creek on it, which neither of those are ideal. But if you have 18 acres, you know, we were able to forego two and a half acres for the creek, basically, you know, wetlands and creek. Um, so it, 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 you, as long as you have enough buildable space, like 10 to 12 acres, you can get 200 plus units. Those are kind of the minimum criteria that we look for. And obviously like the cleaner the site, the better, the, the more like rectangular or square better, it's easier to build on. Um, you know, I've had sites that are literally like, like circular looking like a, like a smiley face. It's just, you come across these weird parcels. Sometimes you just got to deal with what you have. Um, but you ideally want to find those that are square. You, it's just a much more efficient site. Um, sites without creeks, uh, sites that are not near railroads or, um, airports. And really like when we find these sites, like I'm either, I'm either going to the local GIS. So I'm looking at like Nashville, it's called parcel viewer. So it's a public record of all the parcels and it's a map on, on their uh, website. And so I'm looking at who's owning it. Um, and I'm either, I'm either calling it on, you know, somebody from our team is calling that person reaching out directly, or I could already know the person cause they own multiple properties or I send it to a broker and say, Hey, could you try to track this person down? And they're motivated cause they can get a commission out of it. So, um, okay. doing different things like that. There's also an app called land glide, okay. which is basically like GIS. It puts GIS on your phone. And GIS, for those of us who don't know, which I happen to be one of those folks, is that <laughs> MLS for land, uh, for the land or what is that? It's, it's called um, Geography Information Systems. Okay. And it's basically like, it's a, it's, it's a fancy way of saying it's a database for land, more okay. or less, like geography. So it's, it's each city or county or state has these databases and so you can access them and, and there's certain ways you can even manipulate them. Like, and there's also software out there and I'm, I'm no expert at the software, but I know that there's certain ways you can literally filter out parcels and say, I want a 10 acre parcel. I want it to be zoned for residential or multifamily. Right. And I want it in this area. I want it, you know, yada, yada, like you can filter out sites and there's certain software that can do that for you. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's another way that we've, basically made like a table of sites and then we'll like send them letters or we'll call them. So there's, there's a couple of different ways to go about it, but um, I think just constantly putting it out there also, like I've had people bring me deals and say, Hey, you know, I know you know how to develop land and, and I don't, but I'm, you know, I can help fund it or I can help be the real estate investor and behind it. Let's do this together. Okay, great. That, great. So what Evan, cause I'm going to send you, I was going to send you down a rabbit hole and you, you just saved me or saved the show <laughs> uh, because it, I get so fascinated. And honestly, I, I'd love to, um, you know, we drop in the show notes some resources. We'll drop the GIS stuff down as well. Um, I was, I was going to go into depth, um, but you mentioned funding and that's a great segue. 
what is it in me if I'm, if I'm, I have equity, I guess, equity partner, let's say, what does the pitch sound like? We know what the pitch sounds like from a, most of us do, because I've had a lot of folks in the, you know, folks are doing a lot of different things. They're wholesaling, they're multifamily apartments, uh, syndicators, right? What does it look like for you, the developer, if I have money and you have a project, what does that high level conversation sound like? How, when do I get my returns? And, and I'm going to just double stack a question on here. I heard you mention it took you uh, three years to close. I'm not sure if that was to build or to actually get the project. So let's maybe combine those questions. Like yeah. what does it look like for me? What is the opportunity that I'm get, getting myself into as an investor when I'm doing business with you on the development side? Yeah. Great question. So, uh, so whenever we work with investors, it's typically they are helping us on the pre-development expense side. So for each project, we spend anywhere like minimum half a million up to a million and a half to two million. Depending on the project, depending on how many expenses we have, if we have to buy the land up front or not, you know, typically your biggest expenses are permit fees, um, engineering architect fees, right. and any, any land-related, you know, deposits or buying the land. Those are typically your biggest fees. Now there's other smaller things here and there, but basically we, we pitch opportunities. Once we have something under contract, we pitch our investors and say, Hey, you know, here's the expected return. Here's the project. And really the, the biggest risk is that the project doesn't move forward. So there is inherently risk in that. And there's going to have significant capital up front, but the reason or the way we we incentivize our investors is by saying hey we'll we'll not only give you a return on your original investment but by the time we close and when i when i say close i just mean close on construction financing so it's really like just phase 1 of closing so that's like closing on starting the dirt moving wow. so we're closing on the land purchase and we close on the construction financing at the same time so and that's you know, considering that you've also gotten the permit, which I assume would be before. Correct. Yeah. So we'll, we'll get the permits. We'll pull those per permits at or before, right before closing. Um, and then we will basically return. We'll be able to return at closing. We'll have the tax credit equity that we were talking about before yeah. that will go to pay off the original investors fund and, and with their return, and depending on the deal, that same investor, as well as getting all their money back at closing, could also get a percentage, a small percentage ownership in the deal uh, with all their money returned and, you know, a usually 8 to 10% return on the front end. So they were returned on the front end, all their capital back, and then small percentage ownership in the deal as it cash flows. Equity. That's awesome. That is, that is, that's fascinating. Thank you for taking us through that. Um, I think uh, that's a lot of new information for myself as well. And, and the rest of the folks who are tuning in, my experimenters. Um, one thing I, I, one last comment I want to make is I assume that the type of properties that you're, you're building again from scratch are in the end class B class like you're not building class a's right because it's affordable right. housing, so you're factoring that in right like you're more or less around the right of not spending too much but making it affordable enough exactly right yeah i mean the 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 classic problem that some affordable developers are getting into is they're building too nice 
And really the, the best amenity that we are offering is our, is our rent, right? Like we're offering something that's two thirds or sometimes even half of where market is, you know, like for a, for a, a brand new one bedroom close to downtown, we're renting it at $900 where market is, you know, 13 to 1500. Right. Affordable housing. That's what it is. Exactly. And so I'm curious because some of us know section eight, right? Do you work with that at all? Is that a complete different pool that I should not be mixing up right now? <laughs> that's a great question. I get that a lot. It's basically section eight is a voucher that the, that the government gives to families making anywhere from zero to, I think it's like 30,000 or somewhere in, in between there. But basically these are people from not working at all permanently supportive to working and making a, a small income. Um, and they basically, you pay for the rent up to 30% of your income. And then the, the voucher covers anything beyond that if, if you still have rent left over after your, your 30% of your income. So we do accept vouchers. Uh, and, and sometimes we provide a specific spot, like, a you know, provide a certain number of, uh, of the units for vouchers. Um, but we don't necessarily like, that's not our bread and butter. We're typically going after families making anywhere from 30 to 75,000. Gotcha. Well, you're in the right market too. And it's, again, it's it, the more I think about it, the more it's so important for us to be involved in the economics and, you know, even the politics. And the reason I say politics is those of you who are listening and you're in New York, you guys know what's happening over there. The, the rent, <laughs> rent control, rent yeah. stabilization. I mean, it's killing investors over there. I was just at a, a mastermind out there and I was just like, yikes, that's something you got to definitely factor in uh, because it sounded like, you know, it sounds like, and I don't know the market too well out in New York, but it, it did sound like there are, there is a quota that you need to meet of affordable housing that you got to give. And you, the reason why that, that clicked with me is you said that you will sometimes, what is it, submit or request for those vouchers. So it sounds like you have that luxury while in an other market, it's so important to know your market because in some other markets, it's, it's a requirement. Uh, yeah. So, so I think it's, um, it goes back to the foundation of location, 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 my friend. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. So cool, man. All right, look, this was a nice deep dive by Professor Holiday. Thank you very <laughs> much, man. That was, woo. No, seriously. I love it. We don't, we don't really, uh, I mean, literally, you've been the first uh, developer background, uh, you know, investor that we've had here. So that's that's cool. And, and what I want to go back on, too, is what I really do appreciate about you is, uh, and, and a lot of the, the folks who come in the lab is they're, they're practitioners and they had to submerge themselves in it. So you, that, that was, that, that dates back to the time that you were on campus and you saw an opportunity and you were able to submerge all that knowledge. And I have to say, brother, you sound phenomenal today. And of course, I'm sure you're, you're still a student of the game learning more, uh, but definitely appreciative of, of learning a lot from, from what you've uh, been able to build so far on the developing side. So good stuff, my man. Let's get into a little bit of uh, the keeping it real. Cause I always think that you're a reflection of your business and I like to get a little into the personal development side of things. So I guess for you, I, I like to always ask people like, what, what was you think the biggest myth buster uh, or misconception that, that, that uh, people have in, in, in life as you're going through all these projects and, and I'm sure there's so many lessons. So what is a, a big misconception that misconception, I should say that you, 
you think people have that they shouldn't have in, in business and in life? I would say the two biggest things that have been game changers for me have been one, um, don't sweat the small stuff. Don't, don't get in your own head. It's really like, I feel like so many of us were like, you know, we, we worry and we stress and we get freaked out and we, we, we focus on these potential realities that haven't become realities yet, but we make these situations in our head of what could be all these negative outcomes. And, and then it comes to pass and it, it ends up being a great outcome or whatever it is, like certain things that we just worry so much and it just brings down our energy and it brings down our mood. It, you know, it makes us not get anything done instead of actually just working towards your goals. Um, so I think realizing that and being able to like rise above that. And I think meditation has been a huge part of that for me. Um, and also just reading and learning. And, um, and then the other piece I would say is like get started before you're ready because you don't need to be a hundred percent ready for anything and a plan executed is always a hundred times better than a perfect plan or some, I forget the exact expression, but you know what I mean? Like just get started. A hundred percent. And it's crazy that you said that Evan, cause I kid you not, I was going to piggyback on that and say the one way you can actually, uh, re, re, I guess push back from those limiting beliefs that you might have and all those voices in your head of being scared of the outcome that's not even there is literally by compressing the amount of take the uh, compressing the amount of time that it takes to make a decision like if you just take action like we've all been there man like man you gotta call this person you're like yeah and you're and you're just lengthening the amount of time compress that and i think you nailed it on the head if you take action I mean, half, half of the things that we've taken action on, I know, I think that's, it's, we literally did not know how to do, right? Like, yeah. that's okay. And I think that's, that's what I love about, or, or the message I want to always bring back in the lab, and I'm glad you're echoing it, is, is that you don't have to figure, have it all figured out. Like, you literally just go along the way. And, and as you take action, clearly, you've learned a lot of things along the way that makes you, again, obviously, a subject matter expert. Obviously, all things considered, we can learn from other people, but that's fascinating. Cool, man. So uh, what do you think is the biggest mistake you've made? I mean, shoot, the, the process that you talked about being on the developing side, on the multifamily side, what do you think is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate and what was the lesson learned from it? Um, that's, that's always a good question. Uh, I think for me, the biggest mistake has been Honestly, I think my answers changed because I've I've had a, a set answer previously, but I think this has recently changed um, because I've had realizations around it. Is the biggest mistake I've made is not implementing systems earlier, nice. and I, I've I've never been into systems as much as I am now. You know, I, I resisted them at the beginning. I was like, you know, that's not me. You know, I just I'm creative. I do what I want. I'm a little over here, a little over there. But then I realized I'm like that just isn't as productive as I could be. I'm not as efficient as I could be. And if, if I find something that works, I need to just repeat it and, and teach other people how to do that same repetition of steps because that's the only way you're going to grow is if you include other people, bring in partners or bring in employees, you know, bring in a team of people that can do the same thing, do, do the smaller tasks because that's one thing I was getting bogged down. I was like, man, why am I like, 
answering these like silly emails and, you know, doing the accounting and doing all, I was like, why am I doing all this? And why am I not systemizing things that I know that work? And so that's really been focused the last like six months. And that's going to be the focus for the foreseeable future. Cause I feel like I can literally exponentially grow your time and your impact and your growth. That's, that's fascinating, man. I, a great point. Um, I just heard, uh, or I'm listening to Ottawa right now. I think it's James Clear. It's called the Atomic. Uh, oh yeah, Atomic and, Habits. Man, you gotta. I don't know if you've ever read like the Compound Effect, but that's yeah, that reflects the sequel, man. And um, it said something about how um, it was along the lines of it's, it's not motivation that we lack, but it's the clarity. And I think systems give you clarity. Like you wake up, you know what you need to do, or somebody yeah. else knows exactly what to do. And I thought that was fascinating because I think it's true. It's the greatest operators, they might not be smarter than us, but they have the best systems. And, and that's the thing. I'm, I mean, at this point, it's just such a common blueprint that, I mean, guys, if you choose to, 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 to not listen to this, this is we're giving out the gems in the lab. I, I think it's, and I think sometimes we know, but we, we, we need to be reminded of it. Right. And to your yeah. point. So that's awesome. Um, what is the uh, worst advice you think you've ever received? Uh, uh i would say you've ever heard of like that's the worst advice yeah i would honestly say like people that are trying to limit my beliefs and my growth and trying to project their own limiting beliefs on me and i've been fortunate that you know i've been reading a lot of books about you know mindset and motivation and limiting beliefs and and how to be your best self and so I've been able to recognize a lot of that and kind of like get past it. But I think if, and also I've just had that confidence in my own abilities and my own company and my growth um, that I haven't let any of that phase me. But I think that's something that everybody that's going at that like 10 X scale, everybody's going to deal with that. You're going to deal with people who are like, well, you know, maybe, maybe you should take a job instead of, you know, starting your own company and maybe you should do this and may, maybe you should do a, you know, a 10 unit deal instead of a 200 unit deal. And so there, there's, there's all this, like people are trying to tell you what to do partially because of their own mindset and where they're coming from uh, and maybe their own beliefs. But I think you just have to rise up above that and say, Hey, you know, they're not me. I appreciate your, you yeah. know, your help, your advice, your, your, your thoughtfulness, your thinking of me, but I'm going to do, I'm going to do me and I'm going to do my own thing. And this is how I see it working out for me. Good, good for you, man. That's awesome. I really, I appreciate that. Um, there's a, uh, I'm probably going to get into trouble in the lab saying this, and I don't think you should take it verbatim, but like he says, I've heard this quote about, uh, I wouldn't take any advice from anyone I wouldn't want to exchange places with. <laughs> and now obviously all things considered, I think there's a lot of, you know, great leaders listen to it doesn't matter if you're above me or below me i think we can take advice from anybody and just take yeah. it you know take it in and absorb it but i think it goes enough without saying it when you're listening to someone pushing your limiting beliefs on you you also have to realize okay you know who are you getting your information from as well sometimes it's yeah so ray uh ray dalio talked about that in his principles book I how he's like i forget what he called it but believability or or something like basically saying like if, if somebody continually is right and is continually like saying things that are great advice, like they, they pan out over time, you know, time tested. And those are the people you should be continuing to take advice from. Um, 
and, and just being able to have that ability to see who is, who are people that you should be taking advice from and who you should not be is a, is a great skill to have. That's, that's fantastic. I, I agree completely. Um, great segue, Evan. Speaking of Ray Dalio, uh, I think he's a monumental uh, person. I was going to ask you, what is the most monumental um, or the biggest, most monumental person that was a big reason for all your success uh, or, or your, your achievements and your growth? I think we're, we're still growing. So who is that? Is there a big influencer out there that yeah, honestly, I would say for me, it's my mom. She just, she was instilled in me at a very young age. Like I can do whatever I want. I can be whatever I want. I can, you know, create whatever I want. And she also taught me, her and my dad both taught me to come from a loving place and come from like an inclusion of people and not, not pushing people away. Um, and I think that really gave me the mindset I have today of wanting to impact the world and make the world a better place. And, and also believing in myself and knowing that I can do whatever I want to do. That's amazing. And, and truly you're having a great impact. I think one of the things you didn't intro and this is why I should take it upon myself to intro you is you, you are creating a movement and your monumental podcast. I'll have definitely everybody check it out in the show notes. Uh, your, again, your, your ability to, to interview thought leaders and share that with your, your audience, I think is fantastic. And I think you truly are impacting lives and making a monumental impact. So, so good yes. for you. That's, that's awesome, man. That's Thank awesome. you, man. I appreciate that a lot. For sure, for sure. Now we got the rapid fire round, man. You got to think on your feet for these ones, man. I'm going to come with some heat let's, for you. Let's go. Uh, man, rapid fire round, favorite book? Uh, probably 10X Rule. Oh, shout out to Grant Cardone. Were you at Girl Scout? Yeah. yeah. What? We missed each other, man. The world yeah. Cool, man. We, we got, well, there's 35,000 of us. So. Yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> uh, um, I have a funny story about that, actually, uh, which I'll, I'll tell you offline. But that, that's really cool, man. Uh, best habit that serves you every day? Meditating. My man. Miracle morning? Uh, to a degree, yeah. Like my own version of it, yeah. Yeah, cool. I like that. That's cool. Uh, best tool that helps you throughout the day? Um, Could be an application these days. Now, yeah, now it's honestly been Asana. Oh, that's a good one. I, yeah. That's a good one. Systems, uh, baby. It is. It is. Uh, I saw it today. Or is it today or Monday? I tried that for a bit too. But oh, I, Monday, I yeah. In, a bit, in, in the past as well. That's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, this one's interesting. Listen closely. It's, would you rather have one 300 unit apartment or three apartments of a hundred units? Uh, that depends. Um, ideally I'd want to have 300 units. So I'd only, I'd, I'd have everything at one, one location. So I wouldn't have three different locations. Um, but it would all depend on, like you said earlier, location, location, location. So it, it, that would that would be the biggest defi- deciding factor that in the numbers. But if they all everything the same, I would do three hundred at one location. All right, fine. I, I'll, I'll piggyback off that because this. <laughs> by the way, that question gets fifty fifty every time, and I, I love to see how people think. I think it's interesting. It says a lot about like how you think about real estate. Um, would you rather build a three hundred unit, or would you rather? <laughs> 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 It depends uh, if if they're both making money, then then I'll 
I'd probably lean towards development, but yeah. Um, yeah, I I would take either. That's cool, man. That's cool. Uh, self-manage or outsource? Uh, well, it depends on the type of project, but right now we're, we're doing self-manage and we're outsourcing, but we eventually want to get everything under our own management company. Self-manage. All right. If you had one superpower in real estate, what would it be? To analyze any deal in five seconds or less. Really? That's so interesting. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> I love this question, man. You know what? I'm going to compile. All, cause yeah, I'm, you should. And I think it'll be pretty, pretty cool to see this. Very fascinating. Um, if you could describe a successful investor or in your case, developer in one word, which one would you pick? Uh, I would say something along the lines of tenacious. Mm. I haven't heard this one. I like it. Why, why? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? I would just say, I mean, it it's also goes back to like the willing to do whatever it takes and never giving up. Having that mindset of like defiantly committed, I think would be a good way to put it of like, this is getting done because that's the only way you can get, I mean, think about working on something for three years, like there's so many times where the project lives, the project dies, the project lives, the project dies, like so many times over and you have to keep pushing every day and you, you literally have to be defiantly committed and you are the one that's pushing everybody else. Like you're pushing the lender, you're pushing the equity, you're pushing the permit office, you're pushing everybody to say, all right, let's go, let's go, let's go. I like, I like, people. I like that word because it's like, it's like, it's like grit, but it's like, it's, it's, um, it's not like overly aggressive, but it's dominant at the same, but like, uh, I don't know if I'm, I, I don't know if I'm <laughs> butcher it, but it's like, it's a tenacious. It's just a good word. It's like a, a good yeah. with, with a uh, kind of perseverance and, and all with that. a little bit of oomph. Yeah. You know what I mean? A little sprinkle, a little something. So, <laughs> being in the lab, we got a little mix, mix and pop. We got to do a lot of experiments. And uh, I think, what we find really valuable is, you know, you came in the lab with us, you dropped a lot of bombs, a lot of knowledge. We appreciate you for that. If there's like a key, uh, I guess, an advice that you would uh, give, give listeners. I think when we talk about the lab, I really want to exp literally explain what it is. It's you coming to the lab and the, the world, the life is your lab. You, you got to experiment. You got to take action. You can't, you got to hand in your homework. You got, you got to do the work. Right. And so, if you were to, you know, advise our, our, our listeners on, on, on something that would be most beneficial to them in their lab, let's say it's their marketplace or it's a, maybe uh, a young developer is, is listening and, and is in st still in school, similar to you, what would be an advice that you think uh, you would have probably given yourself uh, maybe 10 years back or maybe it's five? I know you're on the younger side here, uh, but what would be that advice? I would say... The biggest piece of advice I would say is just try a bunch of things until you figure out your why. And once you figure that out, get crystal clear on your why. Because I knew my why, but once I got crystal clear on it, everything else just fell into place. And it's literally like every, everything that I was doing had a purpose behind it and meaning and, and it got me to the point of like every day I'm like, I'm just pumped up to be doing what I'm doing. 
I'm pumped to be talking to the people I'm talking to. Like everything I'm doing, I'm just like, I get paid to do this. Like this is a freaking blast. Like that's what I think. If you can get crystal clear on your why and your mission, then everything else is going to fall into place. That's cool. And listen, man, that's a lot. So I got to dive in deep with you on that. Cause I, I always think about this and I love getting a little deep. So I haven't really even thought about this myself. So maybe I'll put myself on the last two, but do you think our why exists in us and we don't, we're not listening to it or do you think we choose our why? I think honestly, the, the, what you are meant to do is coming from a place of what makes you happiest and what makes you like at your highest level of vibration. Like you're just like, yes. Like, yeah, yeah. and I, and I think honestly, that's a combination of like in us and what we're around every day and what we, what we get pumped up about. Like, I think, I think for me, real estate had a lot to do and becoming a developer had a lot to do with me, like doing site plans. Now, I don't know where that came from. Um, but you know, it, it planted itself inside of me at a young age and then eventually in a roundabout way, I got back to it. So it, it is interesting how, you know, I think it has to do with your environment, but also, yeah, I think, I think part of it is inside of you. It's just a matter of you doing the work to, to figure it out and, and get clear on it. I think that's, that's fascinating. And honestly, just listening to you, Evan, I just, I think you add just here that you're a genuine person. Uh, that's a creator. And I always think it, it's fascinating because I think um, to your point, um, you know, you started in education. Uh, we all started in education. We all do. And my biggest thing, and without going into rabbit holes, I think we have a lot of skill sets that we can apply. And I think if we can tie that down to our purpose, I think that's when we succeed the most. And it sounds like you found that, that kind of that void of where you want to put your, your creativity. So um, good for you, man. I love, I love hearing that. That's awesome. And I, a great answer as well. I think um, that was a tough one, man. I haven't asked that one. I'm like, <laughs> like to get deep, man. You are I'm in loving it, man. Ah. All right, man. Listen, this says, this was dope. This is really cool. Um, as far as a, what I like to ask sometimes is any insights. I think we have a lot of, uh, uh, of things we come across, but as far as like the market goes, you're in a, you're, you're in a lot of, uh, you're in your Nashville, Tennessee market. What is like a market insider that you would think that if you're talking to somebody who's investing in like, I don't know, further way out in Georgia that they might not know about your market, just like a fun fact uh, or anything that's kind of like an opportunity. Uh, is there any insight that you, you might have on us? Cause no, put your city on the map, man. Come on. What is it? What you got going on? <laughs> yeah, man. Nashville is crazy. It's honestly, I think any sort of correction that's going to happen across the United States is not going to have near the impact it's going to have on Nashville because of the amount of corporate jobs, like 5,000 ENY employees, I think like 10,000 or 15,000 Amazon employees. Wow. Like I can't even keep up with the announcements like Oracle's announced. Yeah. Um, wow. Who else? The, uh, you know, all of these like Nissan keeps adding jobs here. Like all these big corporations keep adding jobs here. And then that in itself compounds on like the whole country music thing. And like that, it's like the premier location apparently for bachelor bachelorette parties. Okay. And yeah, it's, it's just, it's this combination of like 
bringing in a, a ton of jobs mixed with like just a fun place to be. Like I've, I'm moving to Nashville two years ago. I'm like, everybody I've met is like, dang, like I want to, I want to go to Nashville. Or like everybody I've met is like, I love Nashville. I had a blast there. I want to go back. Yeah, and it's becoming yeah. this like tourist attraction and people are wanting to live there because it's so fun. So I think Nashville's got a, a bright future ahead. All right, Evan, where do we sign? Jeez. That's, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Uh, listen, this was, this was awesome. Uh, I have one last question for you. Uh, I always ask, you know, what is a question that you, uh, you wish I had asked you that I didn't ask you today? Uh, I think you covered it, man. It, where, where to sign up? That, that's, that's the last one. Where to the, sign la- up? the last one you asked was the best one. Where to, where to sign up? Where do I sign up? That's it. Oh, don't worry. They'll have all the plugs and the connections that you put in there in the show notes, man. I can't even thank you enough for coming on. on yeah, the, man. Uh, the, the, the love and the experiment. This was great. Uh, sharing a lot of your successful experiments, wins and losses. That's what it's all about. And I think you, you provide a lot of value. And I mean that. Like, genuinely, we have not had somebody who can see both lines. And I think that's a, that's a wonderful uh, gift and skill that you hone in on. Let's not get it twisted. My man put in the work. So uh, thank you, man. Evan, man. Let's build, man. You, you know, we'll stay connected for sure. Um, and thank you for coming on the show, man. We'll check you out for sure. Thank you so much, Ruben. This was a blast. You got it, man. You got it for sure. If you're a real estate professional, a real estate agent, a real estate investor, a lender, a multifamily syndicator, a contractor, you name it, and you're looking to grow your online presence, but you have no idea how to get started or simply don't have the time at Invested Talent we help real estate professionals extend their current business to social media. Why is this important? Without this, you wouldn't be listening to this show and your own host, Ruben Kanya, and his team would not have done deals they've done today. As a matter of fact, social media has helped us keep this show together, which now exceeds a billion dollars worth of real estate from our guests collectively. That's right. Our reputation, opportunities, partnerships, and most importantly, real estate transactions were started directly from social media. If you're a real estate professional and you lack an existence on a media platform, Invested Talent can help. Simply go to investedtalent.com forward slash social media and make sure you click the get in touch button to get in touch with our team. Again, that's investedtalent.com forward slash social media and get in touch with our team. You focus on being the brand and we'll help you build it. Now, if you know anything about the lab, you know that we like to give practical advice. So if you feel that this podcast was of any value to you, please be sure to leave us a review on iTunes by going directly to the podcast app. From the show space, scroll all the way down and leave us a review. If you're watching this on YouTube, please subscribe by clicking the subscribe button and leave us a comment. Lastly, and most importantly, share this episode with a friend you feel will benefit this episode the most. Remember, there's a you and I in build. Let's build, y'all.